You're listening to Oh No Lit Class. Dead authors, fresh takes, and the epilogues you never knew you needed. The podcast that really wants you to know that some of Mark Twain's other aliases were Thomas Jefferson Snodgrass, Sergeant Fathom, and The Rambler. I'm Megan. I'm RJ. And I'm Scott. It's Scott. It's a substitute teacher. Yes. <laughs> he's, our, he's our very first substitute teacher. It's very special. Aww. It's a special day with a special boy. Gay boy. With a special gay boy. Wait out yourself. I mean, it is Pride Month. He it's has true. rainbow hair. I We're, do have rainbow hair. We, we are sneaking right in at the end of Pride Month. To pander. Yes, to, to, to pander, of course. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, we did it with Margaret Atwood. It's not, it's not new anymore. This is who we are. We have our gay boy, and we also have our gay author. And that is Oscar Wilde. Woo! So, how... We've got to stop you there. I mean, we're going to get to this. Is he gay or bi? Gay. It's kind of weird since he was with chicks. I will naked mud wrestle you. He was gay as a $2 bill. No, gay. (laughs) Gay for the dick. All right, you guys will just go back and forth forever if I let you. Um, We will dick it out. Yeah, you will. (laughs) Mine's bigger. Thank you. So the way that we are sort of envisioning guest hosting to go, because we hope that Scott is the first of many, although really I'm already regretting it, is that they choose the work that they're interested in talking about and... And they get progressively nakeder. Yeah, yeah, that happens too. Strip podcasting. Yes. Nice. You just haven't known because this is an audio medium, but by the end of it, we're usually just completely nude. All right, so of, of Oscar Wilde's work... You have chosen? The importance of being earnest. I'm sure that's exactly how he said it. Man, I love the earnest movies. <laughs> the, important, mean, the importance of being earnest goes to camp. The importance of being earnest goes to jail. The importance of being earnest saves scared, Halloween. And scared, no, it's scared oh, stupid. Oh, scared stupid. Shit. Yeah. Ernest P. Williker. <laughs> and that's like the little testicle tree that gives birth to trolls. Yeah. That was my favorite. All right, so you'll be Vern. Okay, Vern. <laughs> hey, Vern. Hey, Vern. Such amazing earnest impressions from both of you. Usually we start this out where RJ gives us a bit of a biography, but Scott, is there anything that you want to start us off with? Way to put the pressure on him. Oh yeah. You ready? Can you stand the heat? I gotta get out of the kitchen. Well, we're in the living room, so. Truth. No, I just thought, one, I like plays and importance of being earnest as a play. Also, Oscar Wilde. I mean, who doesn't love Oscar Wilde unless you're like a homophobic rager? I mean, you might you might not like the uh, catalog of sarcastic witticisms that he spent his life compiling. Well, then you're a very sad person to live if you don't like his witticisms. I, but then how many times can you see the Facebook image that your aunt keeps sharing that just says, living well is the best form of revenge, and there's just a picture of like a squatting minion in a dress next to it? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that's witticisms. 
<laughs> I love the minions. Clearly. Before this, I had never read The Importance of Being Earnest. Uh, the, only, the only thing that I had read of Oscar Wilde was the picture of Dorian Gray, which I love and is great, and we're totally going to come... We're going to have to revisit Oscar at some point to talk about that. Because yes, we'll it's, have to come. It's super good. We'll have to come. Oscar demands it. Super gay. Me and our, neither uh, me or RJ was familiar with this one before we, we did our studying up. Shocking. So when did you... So what? High school? High school! Also, as a burgeoning gay boy, I appreciated the witticisms and the cleverness of Oscar Wilde's writing. Um, Are you saying you gotta be gay to enjoy clever writing, Scott? I mean, it's part of the club. You have to take a test. Ah. Um, Written or oral? Hey! Both. <laughs> but I just would like to point out about his witticism. In my Dover Thrift edition of The Importance of Being Earnest, it says... Wilde thrived in London's superficial artistic circles. While his literary work was not well received, this was before his like major writing stuff, Wilde was in high demand at dinner parties due to his sparkling wit. So if none other than wit do we get from English majors, we can survive by being dinner party pansies. There you go. If nothing else, people will invite us to dinner parties and then we can just drop fucking puns. Bon, bon mots and puns all over that. Portmanteaus. Is it portmanteau or port, portmanteau? Port, port, portmanteau. Whatever. But we get free food out of it. I think we're, are we bullying you into silence, RJ? Or are you just no. really consumed with looking up Minions memes? <laughs> it takes some time, but I'm waiting to give people what they listen for. Tell us what's so wild That's oh, right. so you about Oscar. I'm going, tell us. Oh, <laughs> darling. RJ. What is so wild about Oscar Wilde? Oscar Thingol or Flattery Willis Wilde. He was born October 16th, 1854 and died November 30th, 1900. So Oscar was born in Dublin to successful Irish intellectuals. The house he was born in is now home to the Oscar Wilde Center at Trinity College. What are the odds? <laughs> you like that one, yeah? yeah continue. His parents were Williams and Jane. Oscar was the second of three children. His older brother was William. Of course. After dad, of course. And the sister, Emily. Uh, he had a whole bunch of half-siblings because his dad was a horn dog, but they don't figure into Oscar's life, so we're not going to mention them. Goodbye, half-siblings. Up until the age of nine, Oscar was educated at home by a German governess and a French bon. They taught Oscar their respective languages, and we can only hope they taught Oscar how to love. <laughs> you get the French way, you get the German way. Sometimes I do wonder why, when I was a child, I did not have education slaves. Oh, because that's not really a thing anymore. <clears throat> Graduate teaching assistants are kind of education slaves. Kind of, yeah, but we don't get to live in anybody's nice house. True. Like, it'd be an education slave would be a step above grad student. You'd get to chill in somebody's manor. Free food. Yeah, free food. So once Oscar turned nine, he began his life of going to posh schools, where he learned posh things like aesthetics and literature. At 17, he went off to Trinity College in Dublin. He lived with his brother, who was named after Dad. While at Trinity, Oscar focused on Greek studies. He focused on the literature as well as the butt sex. Well, you know, he's got to be thorough. Uh, definitely into the butt sex. I thought that came later. <laughs> Well, we'll discuss it later. Then. 
After Trinity, he went to some little-known school named Oxford. Nah, I never heard of it. I think the school was named after some clothing company, like Oxford Shirt Denim Co. or something like that. Not Oxford Shoes? Uh, maybe. I thought it was a Ford pulled by an ox. That might be it. So while at Oxford, he continued studying those filthy Greeks, and he became a Freemason. Those homoerotic Greeks, too. Freemasonry, what? Yeah, he he became a Freemason, and he was a Freemason until he decided just to stop paying. (laughs) He's part of the Illuminati. I was going to say, that makes the Illuminati sound very boring. It's like, oh, it's dues, shit, you show up for meetings, it's so long. So Oscar was known to box once in a while, but generally he openly scorned, quote-unquote, manly sports. God, I really want to picture him boxing. I mean, if you Google, just just Google images, Oscar Wilde. Well, I got more. You're stopping me here. Well, because I just want to, I want to buy, kind of butt in and say Google any image of Oscar Wilde, and he's just sort of lounging picturesquely in all of them. I can't picture that dude hitting other dudes. Well, he purposely did that, though. Like, Loud, he, he, he always wanted dudes. to be seen lounging. Um, he's hair. also a bit of an ugly guy, but... I mean, with that hair, yeah, it's they, like Lord Farquaad hair. It's true. wasn't doing him any favors. Anyway, Oscar was also known for decorating his dorm with peacock feathers, blue china, lilies, sunflowers, and, as we mentioned, wearing his hair long and free. He would wander around campus and tell people who would listen to him things like, I quote here, I find it harder and harder every day to live up to my blue china. (laughs) Oh my god, that's so good. That's one of my favorite quotes. Oh, I think my favorite one, well, actually, we're going to get to my favorite one okay. later on. So people did not really like Oscar. In fact, some people tried to bully him. <laughs> I can't imagine why. So in one instance, four guys jumped Oscar. To the surprise of everyone, he beat them off one by one. <laughs> you know, not that kind of beat off. <laughs> he defeated them in the manly sport of hand-to-hand combat. Go, Oscar. Nice. Knowing what Oscar looks like and imagining him as Jean-Claude Van Damme is an amazing visual. Oh, man. Like doing doing the split between the two trucks yeah. while saying, oh, gosh, I can't live up to my blue china. Except he would be saying it with an Irish accent and we've all fucked that up. Not true. He actually dispelled his unposh Irish accent in favor for a British accent. Oh, shit. Okay, so we're right on target. Yep. So after laying down the law of kicking ass and taking names at Oxford, Oscar went home and started chatting up a childhood sweetheart by the name of Florence Balcombe. He assuredly told her the story about how he beat off four guys at once and also told her about how proud his blue china was of him. (laughs) Uh, Sadly, Florence was not into this, um, and instead she married Brom Stoker. Oh, shit. I think she chose wisely. Uh, Brom is rugged, bearded, and just genuinely hotter. In the true beta male fashion, after her decision, Oscar wrote to her and said, quote, The two sweet years, the sweetest years of all my youth, were the two we spent together. Aww. Oscar added that he was leaving Ireland and would never return. And so he left Ireland and he never moved back there ever again. Savage. That sounds pretty bisexual to me, Scott. Gay. She broke his heart and he never went back to Ireland. Maybe that's when he became gay. He was like, fuck chicks. So Oscar Wittes is now in his late 20s, living in London, and was riding up a storm. He was pretty successful. He was able to make a good living on his works. He moved to Paris in his early 30s, 
While in Paris, he began entertaining a man by the name of Robert Sherard. At the time, Sherard was in his early 20s. This affinity for the company of younger, virile men would become a theme in Oscar's life. But not before he married a real-life woman! Uh... While on a lecture tour, he came across Constance Lloyd, a woman he had known for years and apparently had a thing for ever since and basically proposed to her on the spot. She accepted and they were married. Her family was loaded and they sent her what's the equivalent of $25,000 a year just for existing. It's a good gig. Since she came from wealth, she was into Oscar's way of decorating and didn't mind that he compared himself to his blue china. You're getting a lot of mileage out of that blue china. He loved it. I like to think he had a poster on the wall that kept track of his accomplishments and the accomplishments of his blue china, and he compared as time went on. RJ? Yeah. A, that is a Closet Simpsons joke. Yes. And I can't... <laughs> don't, don't think you can sneak that shit by me. And B, how many more times, just, you know, off the top of your head, do the blue china feature? Shut up. I got other uh, references to make here. <laughs> anyway, him and the baby maker produced two kids. A thing they called a Cyril, and another thing they called a uh, Vivan. I contest the pronunciation. Because if it were. Vivan. <laughs> I argue it's Vivian. Even though. V Y V Y A N. Right. But Vivian. 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 But I then argue that if, it's, if we put the stress on the first Y, then Cyril would be Cyril. Either way. Look, I think we can all agree. He gave his kids stupid names. But not according to Urban Dictionary. He didn't name them Oscar Jr. Soon thereafter, Oscar met a fan by the name of Robert Ross. Robert knew Oscar's work and was really into Oscar. Robert was also 17 at the time. Oscar was in his mid-30s. Oh, no. Why is it always with the icky age gaps? Well, the age of consent in England is 16. It's not a matter of age of consent. We've had this before where it's like mentally 17-year-old dude in his mid-30s. Well, he studied the Greeks and they had that whole thing with like the mentor young boy thing. Mentor mentee. So he was just probably mentoring. Oh, I'm sure he was mentoring all night long. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> At this point, Oscar was physically repelled by his wife, basically scared and scarred from what the ravages of childbearing did to her and her body, and was on the brink of leaving her. And what this Robert... Dick! Scary vagina. Gay, well, all the way. Well, no, apparently the vagina was only scary because babies had come out of it, and it wasn't, like, pert and beautiful anymore. Yeah, time to dump her. And funny enough, we're still dealing with the same issues about female bodies today. How about that? Yay! And this uh, boy, Robert, was apparently, quote, determined to seduce Wilde, according to a biographer. So what could Oscar really do but give in? He left his wrecked hole of a baby maker (laughs) that he had married. (laughs) That's awful! (laughs) Jesus! (laughs) You're a bad person. Left her for clandestine meetings with a 17-year-old hunk of a boy. Now, Oscar wasn't all bad. He knew he needed to get a steady income for the kids and soon-to-be ex-wife, so he took up a job as the editor of the Ladies' World magazine, which he changed to The Woman's World. It was apparently a good publication that took on culture, politics, fashion, and art. And Oscar was apparently good at editing, but he did not really enjoy the work, in particular the time restraints that it put on him. He began to 
do his duties through the mail before he just stopped altogether. And after he quit, the magazine managed to last one more issue. Fell apart with Adam, huh? Yep. He was kind of integral. I think he has commitment issues. You know, I'm seeing a pattern. So he left the magazine in 1890 at the age of 36. He was making a couple grand a week from his plays, so life was going well. He was introduced to Lord Alfred Douglas through a mutual friend. Alfred was 16 years younger than Oscar and was an undergrad at Oxford at the time. He also kind of looked like Matthew Good, so he was a good-looking lad. Does anyone know who Matthew Good is anymore? I don't. He makes movies. Yeah. He's a good-looking boy. He is a good-looking boy. Google Matthew Good. He's a, he's a perfectly attractive, Aryan-looking young man. So Oscar was really into Alfred. While Oscar was generally discreet, Alfred was anything but. Alfred made big scenes in public with Oscar. Alfred introduced Oscar to the Victorian underground and to the world of gay prostitution. So whereas Oscar's earlier rendezvous with men were with men like him, educated and part of the bourgeois, Oscar was now getting with an uneducated and outwardly sordid crowd. He fell into a habit of taking men out and lavishing them with gifts. Oscar wrote of the time, quote, It was like feasting with panthers. The danger was half the excitement. I did not know that when they were to strike at me, it was to be at another's piping and at another's pay. So things were going uh, all fine and dandy until Alfred's dad, the Marquess of Queensbury, found out about his son, Alfred and Oscar. Can we take one second before you continue on just to have a go at going, the Marquess of Queensbury. Isn't it Marquis? But wait, it, well, well, it, wait, 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 wait. No, the no, no, Marquis it, of Queensbury. Well, wait, no, 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 no. It's not, yeah, it's Marques because it's spelled M-A-R-Q-U-E-S-S, not Q-I-S. If it's M-A-R-Q-I-S, it's Marquis. Listen, my education comes from musical theater, and in Phantom of the Opera, the Marquis de Sade. Yeah, yeah that's U-I-S. Yeah. Is it? I thought it was Q-U-E-E-S. No, that's U-I-S. Okay, fine, whatever. Um, so now Queensbury was known to be a big man's man. Um, in fact, he invented the modern rules of boxing. So yeah, that kind of guy. Full circle. Huh. Anyway, he confronted Oscar and told him to fuck off and leave his young son alone. Oscar was having none of it, and so the feud continued to escalate. It just so happened that during this time, Oscar was hitting his, the peak of his career. He had just written The Importance of Being Earnest, which was getting rave reviews and was about to uh, begin its run on stage. Oscar and Alfred found out that Queensberry was planning to attend the premiere and throw rotten fruit and vegetables at Oscar. That's mature. So they arranged to have the cops stop Queensberry from entering. A couple days later, Queensberry went to a club and left the card for Oscar that read, quote, For Oscar Wilde, posing sodomite. <gasps> Oscar decided this was enough and believed this card was a public uh, accusation of sodomy against Oscar and he would not stand for it. So against the advice of basically everyone, he initiated a libel case against Queensberry. Queensberry was arrested and was charged with libel. Now, one of the defenses to libel is proving that what you're accused of claiming is actually true. So basically what Oscar did by getting Queensberry into court was to open the door to all of his dirty laundry being aired out in public. Queensberry arranged to have a number of Oscar's liaisons testify to Oscar's interest in young men. Basically, Oscar was painted as preying on men that were younger than him, men like Alfred. 
The case against Queensberry was dropped, and in the ultimate backfire, there was a warrant issued for Oscar's arrest to try him for sodomy. Everyone begged Oscar to flee to France, but he stayed and was arrested. After two trials, he was convicted and sentenced to two years of hard labor in prison. This entire court process was pretty quick. It actually only took 15 weeks from the premiere of The Importance of Being Earnest and Oscar being sentenced to prison. The theatrical run of the show ended shortly thereafter because Oscar was now a figure of public disgust. Late 19th century hard labor sucked. It involved hours upon hours of walking on a treadmill, only being allowed to read the Bible and the Pilgrim's Progress, and prisoners were kept in relative silence. They were not allowed to speak with one another, and when they were out of their cells, they were forced to wear heavy veils so they could not see each other. Once he got out of prison after two years, he left for France, where he lived the rest of his life in exile. So uh, Oscar never really enjoyed any success again and never really made much in the way of money ever again. He became a drunk and was embarrassed when he ran into people who knew him from his earlier, earlier life. He contracted meningitis, which basically led to his final decline. He wrote shortly before his death, quote, My wallpaper and I are fighting a duel to the death. One of us has got to go. There's my favorite quote. Unfortunately, the wallpaper won that fight. He uh, died shortly thereafter at the age of 46. Uh, I do think it's important to point out that the boy that got him into all this trouble, Alfred, the Matthew Good-looking boy, was so not worth it. About a decade after Oscar's death, Alfred repudiated his relationship with Oscar. He said he regretted ever meeting Oscar, and he claimed that Oscar was, quote, the greatest force of evil that has ever appeared in Europe during the last 350 years. He also referred to a piece that the two of them worked on together as, quote, the most pernicious and abominable piece of work. What a little shithead. If all that was not fun enough, Alfred founded a magazine called Plain English in 1920. Plain English was a far right-wing anti-Jewish publication. He blamed Jews and the Jewish plot for all the woes that England was suffering. But to his credit, come World War II, he said the Nazis were taking things just a little too far with this whole extermination thing. So deep down, Alfred was only mostly bad. Let this be a lesson to all you libertines out there. Taking up young lovers, you have no idea what kind of monsters they will turn into. Get with older folks. They have more money, and you already know what they're about. Good advice. Or he just You're gambling. He could have just picked a better boyfriend, like literally anyone. Could have stayed with women. No, it's even No, too, he was scared too, by scared, the vagina dentata. Apparently. You haven't convinced me yet about by by V gay. Okay. I mean, he made two kids, married a woman, was never returned to Ireland because of another woman. Seems like he was kind of into women a little bit. Just, I mean, just, a, just, a, just a squinch. Well, okay, so I guess my argument with him being bi versus gay um, hinges upon the uh, cultural expectations of men at the time. Because he really seemed into that. I mean... He really cared what people thought. Decorating he those, those did, the peacock feathers, the blue china. I think he cared the what people thought about him intellectually, definitely. But also around that time, if I'm not mistaken, you were considered heterosexual if you penetrated. You were considered homosexual if you received. And that was actually respected and understood. So if you were the top, you could actually pass as a heterosexual, or not pass, but you actually were considered heterosexual in the cultural sphere, but if you accepted, 
the penetration, then you were considered gay. We don't know whether or not he was a top or a bottom. Fair enough. He could have been a party bottom, a verbal top, a messy bottom, I'm, many different I'm, kinds I'm, of I'm, bottoms I'm, or tops. I'm, I'm going to need a glossary. <laughs> I could provide you one. <laughs> I mean, I guess we still kind of got that today where it's like, it's not gay if you're the one getting your dick sucked. <laughs> Let's get to the play itself. The importance of being earnest. Can I interject one moment before we get to the play? No. Fine. Go My ahead. favorite part of trivia about Oscar Wilde's upbringing was that his mom wanted a daughter so much that she dressed Oscar in girls' clothes for the first few years of his life. I I don't know why I was so tickled by that. It just made so much sense, like why he was an esthete and a dandy. Yeah, we don't like we don't want to be reductive. I don't think it's reductive. I just think, you know, I think his upbringing influenced his later life. Not that it made him gay, just that he... It made him pretty. Yeah, I mean, that (laughs) hair and that blue china. Those lustrous locks. Yes. So we're going to talk about the play. And right off, we kind of have a problem. And that is that this is a play. And most of the whole point of it is the rapid fire, full of jokes, blinking you miss it kind of dialogue. And you're not going to get any of that. But, oh well. Anyway, it's time to hang on tight because shit is going to get confusing in this witty drawing room comedy. So first, let's sort out all the relevant characters. It's a fairly small cast. We have Algernon, which is a stupid name. No, I know. Flowers Flowers for, for, no, not that Algernon. And I love this play already. So I got (laughs) Ernest P. Williker. I got a mouse. (laughs) (laughs) No, this Algernon is just the worst. Um... Actually, just because I was curious, because I'm like, this is a stupid name. The, the name Algernon means with mustaches. Like a mouse. So take take of that what you will. Like what? a mustache or whiskers. I guess. Oh, or a mustache ride. There's Algernon, a doofy, wealthy socialite who lies to get out of unpleasant social situations. And opposite of him, his friend Jack, a doofy, wealthy socialite who lies to get out of unpleasant social situations. Then there's Algernon's aunt... Lady Bracknell, who's one another one of those characters where you can tell just from their name that like being sweet and cuddly is not high on her list of character traits. Brax. Good, sweet, kind Lady Bracknell. And uh, so her daughter and Algernon's cousin is Gwendolyn, a surprisingly sly young woman whose sole goal in life seems to be marrying a dude named Ernest. And let's not forget Cecily. So, Jack was adopted by Cecily's family, and now he acts as her guardian, and she calls him uncle. Cecily is a surprisingly sly young woman whose sole goal in life seems to be marrying a dude named Ernest. Hmm. Indeed. Twist. The only other characters worth mentioning are Miss Prism, who is Cecily's governess, and is essentially Jane Eyre, but, like, scooped out of her tragic gothic romance and dropped into a wacky comedy. <laughs> And Dr., and I'm just going to give this my best shot here, Chausable? Chausable. Chausable, thank you. Doctor. Dr. Chausable. He's a reverend. Yeah, right? Reverend Doctor. I I saw, know. Yeah, there were a couple different versions. Okay. We'll call, we'll call him Reverend Chausable. Uh, so he's a clergyman, like you said, who's basically there mostly to just almost perform christenings and just sort of be like, oh, what's going on here? Just like that. Yes. And we're off to the races, with Algernon chilling at home with a plate of cucumber sandwiches. It's very important. Waiting for his... Delicious. Yeah. We've done done that high tea. We have. It's fancy. I've not. With the pinky-o. I'm not that gay. 
You got to. Well, we did it. With, we did it with a gay guy. So. Yeah. <laughs> Gayer than we you. had. We had high tea with a very gay man. So he's waiting for his aunt and cousin to show up for tea and planning on weaseling his way out of actually having to spend time with them because relations are just so dreadfully tedious. Yes. Anyway, before they show up, Algernon's friend Ernest drops in, not to, like, see Algernon or anything, but to profess his love for Gwendolyn. And Algernon's like, gross, that's boring. You know what's more interesting? What's up with this cigarette case you left here last time that says from little Cecily with dearest love to Uncle Jack? And Ernest goes, uh... And what happens next is one grown man playing keep away with a cigarette case while another grown man chases after him. And I can only imagine what this looks like on stage. Only the highest fashionable circles of English life in the 18th century chased each other around a sofa. You got it in the wrong... Keep away. You got it in the wrong century, champ. 19th. Damn it! <laughs> oh, Jack... I'm going back. Please give me that cigarette case. You already, Get you back already here. are getting the characters wrong. Algernon is the one holding the cigarette case. Ow! <laughs> Come back. It's me, Jack. It is pretty playful and, you know, he, winky. See, but he doesn't know his name's Jack at that point. He's, he's earnest. But well, it says Jack on the cigarette holder. It's true. Um, because we can only tolerate this for so long. Ernest gives up, and he's like, okay, fine, you win. Cecily is, like, my ward or whatever, even though she's basically an adult. My name's actually Jack, and I live out in the country, but country life is so boring, and my family is so annoying. So I made up a little brother named Ernest, who I have to visit in the city, and then when I'm in the city, I'm Ernest. And Algernon reacts to this huge revelation that his friend is not who he thought he was, and also just invents entire people and identities just to get away from his family and fuck around anonymously in the city by nodding and being like, same, bro. Yes, it turns out that Algernon is a... Jack Bunburyist. Yes. And what is a Bunburyist, we might ask? What is a Bunburyist? There we go. It's actually the name of a dude that Algernon invented for whenever he doesn't want to do something. So Bunbury is the name of his country friend who's always conveniently ill whenever Algernon needs an excuse. A.K.A. an invalid. Yes, an, an invalid in the country. So it's like, you know, hey, Algernon, can you help me move? Nah, man, I'd love to. But Bunbury, he's like, he's so sick. He could die at any moment. I gotta, I gotta be there. Algernon does this so regularly that he verbed it to Bunburying. Which is weird, because as far as we know, this is the first time he's explaining this to another human being. That is weird. Yeah, so I guess he was just, like, saving that one up, hoping he'd meet someone else as shitty as him. I mean, they're just meant to be. And clearly. Butt buddies. <laughs> bun buddies. Bun buddies. Gonna burn some buns together. Yep. Gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good, good, good contribution. Woo! So anyway, Jack is that dude. He is that shitty human being. But... He adds, if Gwendolyn agrees to marry him, Ernest will conveniently die of something appropriately Victorian, like consumption or Jack the Ripper. <laughs> and it's for the best, because Cecily has a crush on Jack's descriptions of Ernest, which is kind of weird. Like, Jack's all, oh man, gotta, gotta head to the city, go help my stupid brother Ernest out of another jam, that poor dipshit, always in trouble. And Cecily just hears that and is like, damn. Want me some of that action. But Algernon doesn't really give a shit about that. 
He just wants Jack to have dinner with him so he doesn't have to undergo the unspeakable horror of eating a meal with his family. And then, on cue, Lady Bracknell and Gwendolyn show up. Also, Wilde makes a point specifically of letting us know that Algernon ate all the cucumber sandwiches before anyone else could the monster. Cucumber sandwiches are good. Yeah, he, they were for tea. He ate them all. Well, they should have made more. There's always more cucumber. And he didn't let Jack eat any. No, he ate them all himself. And actually, you say there's always more cucumber. The excuse he comes up with is that, that the cu- there were no cucumbers. We went out to the market this morning. No cukes. Uh, so Algie and uh, Lady Brackwitch go off and argue about Algernon weaseling out of dinner, giving Jack time alone with Gwendolyn. He professes his love, and Gwendolyn is like, Oh, I totally love you too. In fact, I've always fantasized about marrying a man named Ernest. Woo! Kinky. And Jack's like, Uh, well, what if, and this is just a hypothetical, I wasn't named Ernest. What if I was, uh, Jack? And Gwendolyn's like, No, that sounds like the name of someone with a small penis. Yep. And he's like, Okay, never mind. My name's Ernest. This was a test, and you passed. Except then Lady Bratwurst comes back and is like, what the fuck is going on here? Because she's old and bitter and hates love. And she questions Jack to see if he is old money enough to marry her daughter. But when she learns that Jack's an orphan who was found in a handbag in some tragic Dickens novel before being conveniently rescued into this comedy of manners, she says he is not decent and needs to magically rustle up a parent or two before he can marry Gwen. RJ's not participating because he's passing a meme around on his phone. <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah. So just having a third person here just means you don't got to do work, huh? So Jack's pretty bummed out, and that's harshing Algernon's good mood, so he ignores Jack's whole problem in favor of asking about Cecily and whether or not she's hot. And Jack's like, dude, stop. No, she's like 18 and we're both almost 30. But Algernon's boredom-related horniness will not be denied, and he overhears Jack give his country address to Gwendolyn, secretly copying it in the hopes of going there and banging Cecily, who is essentially Jack's little sister and someone he's never met. Because that makes sense. Pederast. Pederast. <laughs> After the, oh, go ahead. She's 18. Yeah, she's 18. I mean, it's just sort of creepy in that same way that I would say, where it's like, it's a dude in their mid-30s seeing an 18-year-old be like, hey. I mean, that's less of a problem for me. The bigger problem for me is that people are falling in love based off of descriptions of royal fuck-ups. Yeah, that's a that's an issue. That they, they hear about some hot mess and they go, mmm, I want that. I feel like, okay, this is going to be stupid of me, but Jane Austen wrote before this, right? Yes. Yeah, so I feel like he's like, I feel like Jane Austen would legitimately write about this stuff and do this stuff. I feel like he's really just shitting all over Jane Austen and that whole aesthetic. I don't know, no, because that's not necessarily fair. Like, the whole, I mean, have you read Pride and Prejudice? No. See, you don't even know what you're fucking talking about. Have you read Sense Accessibility? I hate Jane Austen, so no. <laughs> How do you know you hate Jane Austen? Because I started reading haven't. Pride and Prejudice, and it was fucking dumb. I, I just need to weigh in here, because I thought it was a ridiculous question of uh, if Pride and Prejudice was written before this. It's Jane Austen died 160 <laughs> years <laughs> Before Oscar Wilde was even born. Listen, so I, I never said I was the smartest man in the room. I'm merely here to be cute with my unicorn hair. 
And it, and or, excuse me, I'm thinking about it. She died 60 years before Oscar. Okay, <laughs> wow. So really, wow. yeah, there's a big difference between dying 60 years before someone going to die 160. <laughs> After that, the scene changes to the aforementioned country house where we meet Cecily and her governess, Miss Prism. Cecily is supposed to be learning German from Miss Prism, but she doesn't want to because learning German makes her look ugly. Again, art imitating life. Oh, that's true. Because Oscar Wilde. And his German governess. Yes. She prefers to write in her diary about how much she wants to do a sex on a man she's only had described to her by a guy who's basically her brother. Dear diary, I want to bang him. His name is Ernest. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's basically it in that exact voice. XOXO. Miss <laughs> uh, Prism goes on about some three-volume book that she wrote at some point, but Cecily doesn't give a shit because who should appear at the house but Jack's infamous and until now unseen brother, Ernest. (laughs) Cecily is very excited to meet the man she's heard so much about, but we all know who Ernest really is. James Varney. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jim Jim Varney. James Varney. It's that creepy horned dog Algernon, here to seduce Cecily by pretending to be Jack's made-up brother. Hot cross buns. Hot cross buns. Hot cross bun burying. He's gonna bury it right between those hot cross buns. Gross. They flirt a whole bunch while Miss Prism is distracted by her crush, the good reverend... Fuck. Chalcible. Chalcible. And the, the two of them, like, wander off. And who should appear now? Would you ever help your Uncle Jack... Off a horse. <laughs> Bringing it back middle school style. <laughs> it's Jack with the terrible, tragic, and solemn news that his fake brother Ernest is super dead. And Miss Prism and Reverend Charles Will are just like, oh no, so terrible. And then Cecily appears and is like, oh, guess who's here? It's your brother Ernest. And Jack's just like, oh fuck, I have the power to remake the universe. Holy shit. But then he sees Algernon and knows that, no, his, his friend is just a lying asshole. But he has to go along with it or admit that he, too, is a lying asshole. Uh, also, suddenly, just because, quote-unquote, Ernest proposes to Cecily, you know, after meeting her 20 minutes ago. Yes. And uh, instead of having her red flag creeper alert go off, she's like, yeah, cool, sounds good. I mean, I've been playing pretend in my diary that we've been engaged for months. And then, yes. To be exact. And that doesn't send Algernon's red flag creeper alert off, so fuck it. They deserve each other. She also adds that, like Gwendolyn, she's always had this secret desire. This this apparently just uh, ubiquitous. 19th century woman desire to fuck a dude named Ernest. Is is there, like, a British stereotype that I just don't know about where, like, dudes named Ernest are just hung as fuck or what? Well, it's important <laughs> to be Ernest. Some could say it's the most important. And so they're Ernest Ernestus. And women dig it. They go, you're such an Ernest Ernest. jeez. Uh, and then Algernon has this moment where he's like, well... Could you love someone other than an Ernest saying, I don't know, Algernon? 
And Cecily responds, No, that sounds like the name of someone who lies about visiting sick friends in the country because he hates his family and he's a dick. Sounds right. So, Algernon and Jack both run off to find Reverend Chasuble so he can rechristen them both Ernest because clearly that is the solution to the problem. And uh, Cecily's just kind of like standing around and who shows up? There's only so many people left to show up. Oh, Aunt Augusta, Lady Bracknell. Well, not, well. Oh no, Gwendolyn shows up first. Yeah, there we go. You got the order a little bit wrong there. That, that's better. He would have thrown out, like, Lionel Richie. Shamu. Ah. Your favorite course. whale. No, my favorite whale... Wait, what was my favorite? <laughs> free, no, free, free Willy. Willy. He walked it back. Free, free Willy. Willy was my favorite whale. It's Free Willy. Okay. How referential. Gwendolyn? Wouldn't at this point it be better if they all spoke like whales? It would take a lot longer. <laughs> yeah, it would. So yes, it's Gwendolyn. She's there. Every day, I try to live up to my blue china. I long for death. That's why he's always loungy, because he takes so much effort in speaking like a whale. So he's always so tired. Gwendolyn! Gwendolyn's there. She's there now. She's there to see Ernest Worthing, the guy who proposed to her. And Cecily's like, oh my god, same! Wait a minute, what? And instead of trying to puzzle, like, things out, uh, they're about to have the frivolous, wealthy socialite version of a scratching, hair-pulling bitch fight when Jack finds them both and kisses Gwendolyn. And she's like, yeah, see? Here's Ernest. He loves me. Cecily's like, uh, no, that's my Uncle Jack. Gwendolyn's like, excuse me, and she's just sort of appropriately aghast. And then Algernon appears, and they do the whole fucking routine again. And Gwendolyn's like, uh, that's my cousin, Algernon. So our two idiots are in big trouble. Their bun-burying has come back to bite them. So the girls are pretty pissed, partially that they were being lied to, but mostly that there's no swinging dick earnest for either one to marry. So they storm away and leave Algernon and Jack to blame each other and argue while angrily eating muffins. That's... Eating them buns. Yeah, no, that's that's a real thing. They, they get into a pissing match while simultaneously cramming as many muffins into their mouths as they can. So, you know, take from that what you would. Uh, <clears throat> so the girls watch this and they're like, that's weird. We should probably go back in there and get some answers. And so they're like, you know, why all the lies? And... The men are both smart enough to know the right answer, which is, so I can see you, my love. And that pretty much does the trick, except there's just one small problem. They're still not named Ernest. Yes. I'm not used to having someone answer these correctly. It's really throwing me off. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. It's okay. (laughs) It's kind of nice. No, uh, no one wants to marry Jack or Algernon. As you said, these girls were promised earnests, and they want some goddamn earnests. But our two love-struck boys are like, we're going to get them changed. Reverend Trostle's going to do it. It's going to be great. And then who should show up then? Brax. Lady Brackenbush. So she's there to be a buzzkill. And did you type that there? Did you type and 
fart like a boss? <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> you were your own script, Nick. No, did you, like, when did you do that? You were your own script. No, I didn't. I did not write she said if you must kill and fart like a boss. When did you do that? So she shows up. And she's it like, farts. yeah, she farts, she farts a whole bunch. And she says, what the hell is everyone doing here? Is this where your sick friend uh, Bunbury lives? And Algernon does some very quick thinking and he says, no, it, he died. He exploded. From gas. And Lady Bracknell's like, well, that's solved. I'm not making any of that up. That's, that's, that's it. That is the logic. He just, she blew up. He's dead now. And everybody just kind of takes that as it is. And she also says, well, I'm glad he finally decided to do something about his illness. This is true. It's her retorts to, like, they're really good. Just oh, you get so it. good. Her lines are good lines. And it seems like everything is going to be okay, except that Lady Brackish still won't let Jack marry Gwendolyn. So Jack decides that, since he's Cecily's legal guardian... He won't consent to let her marry Algernon until he can marry Gwendolyn. And so everyone's all upset again. And Reverend Chasuble just sort of wanders into this chaotic scene and is like, yo, who's ready for a christening? Except there's no need because no one's getting married anymore. So he turns right around like, whatever. I'm going to go bang Miss Prism in like one of the spare drawing rooms or something. And when he says Miss Prism, Lady Bracknell flips the fuck out. And demands to see her. She's like, bring bring Miss Prism here. Now. Bring that bitch to me. Yep. And so she's brought. And as soon as Miss Prism sees her, she's like, oh shit. And Lady Brackle's like, oh shit is right. <laughs> and she says that 28 years ago, Miss Prism used to work for the Bracknells. But then she went for a walk with one of the little Bracknell babies and never came back. So... What happened? Remember that three-volume book Miss Prism was going on about earlier? Uh, so, essentially, she had the baby in one hand and her big old, perhaps infant-sized book in the other, and she mixed them up. The book went in the baby stroller, the baby went into a bag, she accidentally left it a station somewhere. It's an honest mistake. Could happen to anyone. Yep. Book, baby, baby, book. I mean, we've tried writing books. They're pretty much like babies. They're totally like babies. Yes, if that sounds familiar, it's because it is, in fact, Jack's tragic backstory. He is the mystery missing baby who is in yet another, in a series of soap opera twists, Algernon's older brother. And Jack is, like, just overjoyed. Not because he's found his family necessarily, but because it means he wasn't really lying when he would say he was visiting his shithead brother in the city. Because he was going to see Algernon. Yep, and Algernon wasn't lying because he was acting as Jack's younger brother. Pretty much. (laughs) But the question remains, what was the baby's name originally before he was found and named Jack? And you know. Oh, what's... you, You already fucking know. I know. Shamu. <laughs> it's not. It's not even. It's not even. Good. Oscar. No, no, not that meta. Gavin Forst. Gainsbourg. 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 Yep, it's Gainsbourg. The importance of being Gainsbourg. The importance of being Vivian. <laughs> yeah, Vivian. 
It's it's fucking Ernest. What? His yeah, his name his name's actually Ernest after all. Everybody gets all excited that they all get to marry and fuck each <clears> other, <throat> except Lady Bracknell because she's old and withered. And then Jack does the equivalent of winking directly at the camera and declares that he finally realizes the importance of being earnest. Yay! The end. So, as we said before, this play was the kind of like the climax and height of his career. Everybody loved it. It's, you know, what people say about the play. Witty, clever, socially adroit. And, you know, just full of, full, full of wordplay and just people being absolute dipshits. It is a play, so there's been plenty of stage versions, obviously. It's been revived many times, including an all-male one in Melbourne, Australia, where Jeffrey Rush was Lady Bracknell, and I would love to see that. Uh, the 2011 production on Broadway had a drag Lady Bracknell as well. So is that, okay, so is that actually Did like we- a thing? No, the director actually played Lady Bracknell, and he played, so <laughs> he directed it, but then he also played Lady Bracknell in drag. That's awesome. I would prefer to see an all-drag version of Importance of Being Earnest, but, like, with famous drag queens. Right, okay, so when you said drag, I thought you meant, like, everybody as drag queens, and then I got real confused about the layering of the drag queens if they were going to be playing, like, Jack Ooh, and Algernon. Unless there's a drag Queen drag king mashup. See, that would be interesting. That would be very interesting. Flip the gender. Yeah, completely gender flipped importance of being earnest. I watched the shit out of that. Do it. Get on it, people. There have been a few film adaptations. There was one in, it was 1952. Two. Haven't seen that one. Um, There are some TV movie versions. There was a version in 1992 that had an all black cast, which I think sounds really cool, but I can't find it anywhere. Except on like IMDb talks about it, and it had like like actors in it, like it wasn't just like a bunch of no names, but I can't find it anywhere. So that was a bummer. And then the uh, the one that people are more familiar with from two thousand two, because a Colin Firth, aka, uh, AKA RJ's English boyfriend. No, no, what's the other? The Alpha one. Oh, Clive Owen. Yeah, yeah. Well, Colin Firth is your is your beta male British boyfriend. Yeah, <laughs> and B. Rupert Everett's a big gay ham after Wilde's own heart. So much so that he's actually playing Oscar Wilde in a movie called uh, The Happy Prince that's currently still filming. Ooh. So there you go. I'll see that. Yep. But also, if you think about the 2002 version, because they add a lot of weird shit in that movie. One, worst fake piano playing I've ever seen. Okay, like I said, it's been it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. I did not rewatch it. I did. I can tell. And I watched the 1952 version. Apparently there's fake piano playing, which is just just the work. Can you think of anything worse? No. And then also when Algernon (laughs) comes into Jack's estate in the country, he comes by balloon. That I don't remember. Yeah, he comes in by balloon. Fancy. Um, That would be great if you see, like, stage directions. (laughs) Enter Enter by balloon. (laughs) What, what... Movie and or play can't be improved by a balloon flying in an extravagant manner. I mean, that's what they tried with... Uh... Shindor's List. <laughs> True. Thanks. Yes. All right. Uh, but also with the 1952 version, the dandies are definitely like gay acting men, whereas in the 2002 version, they're definitely like masculine up and don't have as much flirtation between the two of them. Which is a shame because Colin yeah, Firth Colin and Rupert Everett. Everett. Yes, exactly. 
Fine. It is a damn shame. Also, sorry, the 2002 <laughs> version has a 58% score on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. While the 1952 version has a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh my god. Okay. Just putting it out there. You, you win. <laughs> you win the prize. And that, that prize is that you're pretentious. Hey, I appreciate both. I do want to mention, though, that there was a question of, like, how gay is this play? Or is it meant to be gay? Like, what's going on with this bun variant thing? And so, three years before Wilde wrote the play, a writer by the name of John Gambrel Nicholson uh, published a book of poetry, Love in Earnest. And in that book, there's a sonnet titled A Boy's Name, um, which included the verse, Though Frank may ring like silver bell, and Cecil softer music claim, they cannot work the miracle. Tis earnest sets my heart aflame. Well, shit. Gay. 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 And then uh, Oscar Wilde got his bisexual hands on it and made it a gay play. He buried his buns right in there. Cool! (laughs) Alright, so we are at that point in uh, the episode. So, RJ. So, The importance of being earnest. Yep. Good or bad? 13 peacock feathers. That is not a scale of measurement. That's extravagance. A full set of blue china. There it is. Oscar Wilde would approve. No, the blue china would approve. (laughs) Of Oscar Wilde. Correct, and the play. Yes. Hey, Megan. Yeah, RJ? This earnest uh, book thing here. How's it compared to Ernest Scared Straight? (laughs) (laughs) Was that intentional or a mistake? Because that was brilliant. That's good. So, like I said, before, prior to this, I'd only read The Picture of Dorian Gray, which is a very different story. Taking kind of the same pot shots at at the same sort of people, but in a much darker, uh, much more like, I believe they would use the phrase, morally depraved sort of way. So to kind of contrast that with this thing is is weird and sort of interesting. And it kind of reminds me of The Great Gatsby in that you're watching a bunch of wealthy people just kind of dick around, but they're much less horrible people here. I mean, they're not great. There's a lot of deception and uh, things going around, and they're all kind of dumb, but they're at least more pleasant to spend time with than the people in The Great Gatsby. But again, it's like, yeah, you rich people go off and do your thing with your cucumber sandwiches and your easily resolved love trapezoids. So, I I give it an A. Yeah. Yeah. It was the early 1800s. Things were good. Cucumbers were plenty. (laughs) No worries in the world. Muffins were abundant. Buns were burying. All right. Scott. Me. Our special substitute butt teacher. I am the best butt teacher. Best in the land. The importance of being earnest. Good or bad. Although you, you picked it, so. Well, like you, the only other thing I've read by Oscar Wilde, granted it wasn't Dorian Gray, it was Salome, which has very vampiric tones and it's very dark and there's like Jacobian shit going on and it's very like fuck religion. So not like Megan at all. No. I mean, she doesn't 
sucked blood. Well, then not that, that you started off by saying like Megan. Well, that he'd read something else first that was really dark. I suppose. Keep up. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I love the sparkling witticisms. It makes me want to be a better, terrible person in life <laughs> and have people hate me but invite me to dinner parties because they want my sparkling witticisms and give me free food as a post-grad. That's the dream. Yep. Free food. And living in a house. So what I'm getting from this is really Oscar Wilde inspires us all to be the best mean girl we can be. Yes. I'm I've writing never... my burn book right now. <laughs> I've never beat four boys off at the same time. Well, you know what? You're still young yet. That'll about do it for us on this episode of Oh No Lit Class. Please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. I don't know. Just, just, just love us. Write reviews. Yeah. Why don't Five you write, star why reviews. Why aren't you writing reviews? No. I wrote that one. Was mean. I wrote your first one. You did. You did write our first one. That's why you're also our first guest, because you're special This to is my shout-out that I never got previously. Well, because we it wasn't a thing then. And okay. also, it, it does, it's probably going to be a thing because it's not working. The next episode should be out on July 6th. We, we squeak this one in in time for Pride. So Woo! go us. Go rainbows. Yay! Thank you, as always, to Best Day for the use of his music in our intro. You can listen to us on every goddamn app in the universe. They know how to listen to us. They're yeah, listening, they're listening right, right now. now. But you can also always find us at onolitclass.com. I gotta mention that. It's in the rules. Okay. I'm Megan. I'm RJ. I'm Scott. And if you want RJ's glossy photos autographed, leave a comment on iTunes. Leave your address. We'll make it happen. Don't do that. We love you. Bye. Best day! It's best day! This is what, the third or fourth time he's called during yeah. that? Whoa! Guess, guess what you're interrupting again. Podcast? Yep. Woo! Oh, what was the book? Fords of Being Earnest by Oscar Wilde. What about Oscar Wilde's little-known follow-up, the importance of getting bitches and smoking trees? <laughs> 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 Alright, peace out.